There's a pivotal moment in the drama between Yosef and his brothers where Yosef's emotions literally boil over. The Rebbe will masterfully pick apart Rashi's interpretation of the story to illustrate us exactly what happened and how we know that's what happened. So Pasuk says, Yosef. Yosef rushed because his compassion for his brother, his mercy for his brother boiled over, brother being Binyamin. So Rashi has two comments on this. We're going to look at the second one first. We will come back to the first. And he says that word nichmaru needs an explanation. And his Mephorish gives us three uh, elements that help to explain this word. Firstly, he says it means nishamamu, that he heated up. And then he says, It's like the expression that you see in the Mishnah, which says, When you pack together olives in order for them to warm up. Then he says, In Aramaic, in other words, in the Gemara, you're going to see Mishum Michmar Bisra, the concept of heating meat. Over Mikra, and then he brings a pasuk from Eicha, which says, Our skin heated up like a like a an oven. Venikmetu says Rashi that means that Nishamu Venikmetu Kimotim Kimotim means that they heated up and wrinkled up. Mipnei going back to the pasuk because of the fever of associated with famine. Says Rashi, That's the, the nature of anything that is made out of skin. When it heats up, it contracts and it wrinkles. Okay, we understand why Rashi has to explain the word, because we don't know the word. The fact that Rashi has to support his translation, that Nichmaru means to heat up, that's understood. As Nichmaru means that that's self-understood. Because he has to ben chomish le mikra, the child who's now learning chomish for the first time, will now encounter this unusual word Nichmaru for the first time in the Torah, so it makes sense. If we're going to explain the word, we have to explain how we know this is the explanation. However, we have eight other questions about how Rashi has presented and what Rashi has said about this word Nichmaru. First of all, what should strike us immediately? Why does Rashi need three different explanations to prove the meaning of the word? From a Mishnah, from the Gemara, and from a Pasuk. Because it's self-evident, and we feel Mulgaret, something we've discussed numerous times, is there's got to be something that's lacking in each of the of the proofs, and that's why it brings more. So that raises the question: Why is each of the proofs that Rashi brings that the word Nichmaru means to heat insufficient on its own and relies on the others? That's question one. Question two: What a strange order to present these proofs. Based on the Raya's and Pirush Rashi, first he quotes from a Mishnah, and then Aramaic, which is the Gemara, and the last proof that he brings is from a Pasuk. That makes no sense. You would expect that the first proof you always bring is from Torah language. Especially when you consider what it says over there in the Pasuk and Eicha. It's got an advantage over the other two. It's got the exact same word as in our Pasuk, as opposed to the Mishnah and Gomorrah, which have variations of the word. Dernoch, now if the Pasuk doesn't give you everything you need to know, the next step would be Ognoitik, if necessary, derived from the Shein Mishnah. You bring the Mishnah, which has a high authority, and your last port of call would be the Gemara, which is Aramaic. Why does it put it in such a, such a strange order? 
Now, if you are going to quote a Mishnah, why is this the Mishnah to select? Gimel. Why does Rashi bring the pile of olives, which is in Bava Metziah? Or need from Kemishal Anovim, why doesn't he bring the example of a pile of grapes, same word, which he could have brought from an earlier source, which comes long before Bava Metzia. Why go, why skip over a proof and find a later proof? And the truth is, we could ask the same question about the quote from Gemara, Dalad. When he brings the Aramaic meaning of the word, which is supposed to help us, rather than speaking about heating meat, which is only brought in Gemara Psochim, he could have brought the expression that speaks about heating and cooking things, which is already brought in Gemara Brochus. Why three proofs? Why in this order? Why do you skip over earlier proofs in both the Mishnah and the Gemara? Now, when it comes to the proof from Eicha, well, there's a whole different question. Not only is it the question of there are other earlier proofs that he could have brought, there's another question to think about too. Nochme. It's neat movement in So firstly the same question about skipping over earlier proofs. Why quote from Eicha? If the word Nichmaru in that form already appears in two earlier books of Tanakh, Hesha and Melochim. Melochim is even earlier. Not only are those two references that are earlier, in other words, you'll encounter them first in Tanakh. But as I said, the question gets bigger. They're actually more suitable, surely, to be brought as a proof. Why? Because of the context in which they are presented. Our Pasuk is talking about emotions that boil over, and the Psukim in Melachim and Hoshea also speak about boiling emotions. So boiling over mercy and compassion, which is very suited to our Pasuk in Melochim. Or the comfort that Abishta says is going to boil over to the Yidden is still talking about emotion. So surely, Kumen and Shaykh Sahagashalev, seeing as they both relate to emotion, that's Punkt Vinichmur Rachmov in Unzer Parsha. Isn't that exactly the same theme and message as our Parsha? Best place to look for a proof. Whereas, when we speak about our skin boiling in Eicha, it's talking about skin. And nothing at all to do with emotions. Why would Rashi bring that to prove that the word Nichmru here means that your emotions or Yosef's emotions boiled over? Also, the way Rashi brings that proof from Eicha is very odd. He brings half the Pasuk, then he interrupts it, and then he brings the other half of Pasuk. So, when Rashi quotes that Pasuk, is Rashi matik Pasuk. We know that Rashi doesn't only say what happened, but he also says the second half of the Pasuk, why it happened, because of the, the fever that people had because of hunger. Now, we have to understand who needs that? We don't need to know why in Eicha the skin boiled. We just need to know that Nechru means it boiled. What the story was? Find that out when you learn Eicha. Look, when Rashi quotes the Mishnah, he doesn't give us the context. When he quotes the Gemara language, he doesn't give us the context. So why here? Why, why here do we have to know that it's because of the fever associated with hunger? And then, 
why is Rashi getting into so much detail, explaining to us how skin wrinkles when it's heated? What's it got to do with our conversation? That skin wrinkles up when it's hot. Okay, we're talking about when somebody's emotions get hot and the person's emotions literally overflow. What's it got to do with skin that, cr- that crinkles up? And lastly, and then, why does Rashi split this up? First, he quotes the Pasuk that says, which means that the skin boiled up like, a, like an oven. Then he pauses and says, which is what happens with skin when it gets really hot. And then he continues with the quotation of the Pasuk, why it happened over there. That's really strange. So to understand all of that, we're going to go back to the first way that Rashi addresses the issue of Nichmeru, which is the preceding Rashi. All of this will make sense once we analyze what Rashi says on the previous commentary on this Pasuk. So there he quotes, that Yosef reacted because his emotions had overflowed. Says Rashi, Sha'oloi, Yosef asked Binyamin, Do you have a maternal brother? He said, I had a brother, but I don't know where he is anymore. So Yosef says to him, Do you have sons? Sorry, he says, Yes, I have ten sons. So Yosef says to him, What are their names? He gives the whole list of his sons' names. What's the nature of these names? Are they named after somebody? Does it represent something? Says all of their names are related to my brother and the difficulty and distress that he went through. And then he explains them. Bella means he was swallowed up by the nations. Because he was the older brother, the first born to my mother. On and Rashi then goes through the details of all ten names and what they represent. So and then Noch concludes with where we get this from. The Gemara Saita. On and then Rashi concludes that miyad immediately after hearing this narrative from Binyamin Nichmeru Rachamov. That's when Yosef became so emotional. There's such an obvious question over here. Why do you explain the whole story before you explain the word? Surely, logically, first tell me what Nechmeru means, and then tell me why Nechmeru. Why does Rashi first address in such detail the cause of why his emotions suddenly went so hot? Why does he do that before he even tells us what Nechmeru means? The logical order of how Rashi should have addressed this Pasuk would have been the exact opposite order. First we need to understand what happened. What does Nechmeru mean? What does Nechmeru mean? And then it makes sense to say, and why? So what is Nechmeru? And why? Why does he flip the order around? And then there are a couple other questions we have to ask as well. is kosha. Another question. When I read the Pasuk in its simple understanding, what am I missing? 
What, what, what don't I understand? What's difficult to understand? That Rashi has to address by telling us the whole story about the conversation between Binyamin and Yosef and the names. It's a beautiful story. But what was I missing in the Pshat that I need the story? The story at face value is a very simple story, easy to understand. Yosef, after many years, have not, have not seen his brother Binyamin, his full brother. The only one who shares the same mother as him. And the one he has no resentment against because he wasn't involved in selling him. Obviously, that caused him to be very emotional. Why does Rashi have to explain anything further? And based our film is all non nemen as actually how that could be seen hechech to as to some of the meat is a forgotten mass and matten fun rates vision Yosef and Benjamin. Okay, let's assume that Rashi finds some compelling reason in the Pasuk that we need to know that there was a deep, meaningful conversation between Yosef and Benjamin. Vichas al detailen, the conversation the Gemara describes. It's okay. Volt given genug, our opposite bring him blois the ascolum for the sipper. All Rashi had to do was give the intro to the story, the part where he says, did you have a brother? And then he could have told us where the story is discussed. And we could go do homework and we could read the rest of the story. Why are all of these, or what do all of these details add? Especially that Rashi goes and interprets every one of the ten names in Avonis HaPshat from Posuk. What does that add to our understanding of the simple meaning of the Pasuk? Or to put it differently, where in the story, as we read it in the Pasukim, do we have any of this information about a conversation, what the conversation was about, that there were sons? And that's what Rashi is explaining, but where, where is he explaining it from? And another question. Why are Binyamin's sons even entering the picture at this point? How do Binyamin's sons get into the story? We're only going to hear about Binyamin's sons in the next parish of Ayigash. How are they already here in the story? And last question, a bit of a subtle question. Why does Rashi say immediately, as soon as he heard the story, that's when Yosef became so incredibly emotional? Why miyad? Where does Rashi see in the Pasuk that this was the catalyst? This conversation switched Joseph around. But Baal Rashi is nitmatic from Pasuk and Vorat Vayimaher, especially when you consider that Rashi, in his heading for this, this commentary, and his heading will always contain the words that are relevant to his interpretation, he doesn't include the word Vayimaher, that there was a rush, that there was, that there was some kind of pressure, urgency. So in order to understand all of this, We've got to understand where Yosef is coming from. Try and get into the head of Yosef at this particular point in time, and then things start to make sense. The beer and them explanation is this. We cannot explain this as we would want to if we were just looking at it superficially. We'd say, it's a reunion. Obviously, he's emotional. Don't say that. As the reason he had this overwhelming emotion and ran off to cry is given and is because now he sees Binyamin for the first time in decades. Because if that is the case, this is not the possible where he sees Binyamin. At the beginning of this whole section, that's when Binyamin arrives. Yosef sees Binyamin. That's where he should have become so emotional. 
but he doesn't. But Fratnach has gesagt, as das gefinden an euch von Vayimaher Yosef, especially considering that here at this point it's suddenly that he's, there's this urgency, there's this swelling up of emotions. What? He, he saw Binyamin before. So it can't be that just simply the reunion with Binyamin sets him off. Although I'll call upon him, if it wasn't going to be mentioned at the beginning when Binyamin arrives for the first time, at least, surely when the Torah tells us, when the Shvatim came to his house, and Yosef sees Binyamin, and there the Torah tells us, his mother's son, which is right here at this point where they're all gathering in his house. No emotion there either. So what's happened? He doesn't blow up emotionally when he sees Binyamin. He doesn't get all emotional when Binyamin walks over the threshold of his door. So what sets him off? The bald of the Torah itself. Seeing as the Torah tells us, even after the second time he sees Binyamin, now in his own house, he first questions the brothers, is this him? And then he gives him a brocha that David should show you. And only after that occurs, that's when we suddenly see this eruption of emotion. Is this a bavais that shows us as that it wasn't the sight of Binyamin that was so compelling for him or so arousing for him and made him cry? There's something else. Now, there's a really good reason why seeing Binyamin would not elicit this tremendous emotion from, from Yosef, because let's get into Yosef's head. And the time that one is moving on Mokach in Pashtas, it's quite self-evident. Yosef has now spent two decades as the ruler of Egypt, or, or years and years as the ruler of Egypt, right? To the extent that nobody else has any authority to do anything without his permission. And the only superior to him is Paroi himself. There's no question about it that over time, Yosef would have adopted an attitude and a behavior that was very strong and very firm. Especially Especially in the presence of his brothers where he's playing a role that he's showing himself to be such a harsh leader. So even when he sees Binyamin now walk through the door, there's no question it was emotional for him internally. But it's equally clear that until Yosef is ready to reveal his identity to his brothers, and especially if there are other people, the Egyptians around, at Yosef, als Mishnah Lamelech, Yosef with the full self-control of a, an appropriate viceroy, he controlled his emotions and didn't allow anything to show on the outside. As you actually see from our part of the story, that even when it reached the point that he needed to cry, he goes away from the crowd to cry in private. That's why you won't find in this entire section that Yosef does not show any public display of emotion. Especially not something as, as vulnerable as crying. 
Agamas b'meshach von seine bagegnishen und rein mit die Brüder hat er doch gesehen und gehet kameinyonim. Even though the, all the interactions that he had with the brothers had many evocative moments, haben sicher eis gruf von esrakshus vechule and they certainly stimulated emotion. That's out from sein Vater vechule hearing about his father's pain at having lost Yosef, etc. No mitzad ya noga bitkifos, but that was Yosef's self-discipline. He has a cover to uphold. He is the Mishnah Lamerach. He doesn't break down. So it makes sense that he doesn't show emotion until now. The question is, what's now? What happens now? What changes now? So therefore we have to conclude following the train and the implications of the words of the Pesukim. That after he sees Binyamin, and then something happens, and gives him a bracha, that David should show him chen, is forgekommen, an Indian was ein Wirkung is given, noch starker von der Pyrrho von Vajaris Binyamin. Something must have happened in between seeing Binyamin and blessing Binyamin that shifted Yosef in a way that even just seeing his brother hadn't done. But Baal does the Possek is not more for us, was does his given. Seeing as the Torah doesn't tell us what that event was, the Torah only alludes to the fact that there was a catalyst, a watershed moment. We'll have to assume that whatever this unique event was that shifted Yosef so dramatically must be linked to and somehow a result of the bracha that he gives to Binyamin. These are brochas from the Ebishter, because they Kim Yochnecho. It's a brocha from Hashem to Binyamin via Yosef. That is a critical moment in the story. And especially, it's got to be whatever the relationship, whatever's happening over here, must be related to the fact that Yosef and Binyamin are full brothers. Because the Torah is telling us the emotion that boiled over was directed to his brother, to Binyamin. So the fact that it's his brother is critical to the story. So what happened? We don't find it in the Pasuk, so where are you going to have to look? In Drash. Therefore, Rashi has to fill us in on all of that information because we need the full information to understand what's going on over here. It's a dramatic departure from Yosef's behavior up until this point in time. So he tells us everything starting from Yosef saying to Binyamin, do you have a brother from the same mother? As the Pasuk already alludes to the fact that he was his brother from his mother. That's who Yosef saw, the brother from his mother. But not only is he having a conversation about the fact that we're brothers, which, well, he hasn't said that yet, but he's alluding to it, but somehow it must link to Binyamin's children. How do you know that? Because of that word, Chanan. Because this story is linked to the bracha that Yosef gives to Binyamin, that David should show you Chain. That's similar to Yaakov's response to Esav. These are the children that the Ebesha gave me with Chain. That's what Yaakov received, right? Or Yaakov said. That's an expression that Yaakov used with regards to children. So therefore there's a link. Somehow what Yosef's talking about over here must be linked to Binyamin's children, but not just because they are children. 
Na wie das ruft der Reis, die Hisrakschus von Achvot zwischen Yosef und Benjamin. Rashi says, ah, I see what's going on over here. Yosef is connecting the brotherly connection to Benjamin. And then he's asking him about his children, which is alluded to in Elohim Yochanechah Beni. And then he's so emotional. It must be something about those children and their relationship to, Yaakov, uh, to, sorry, to Yosef being Benjamin's brother. That's what must have woken this emotion in him. So, it's something about that that erupted this emotion. Therefore, Ashi borrows from the Gemara and tells us there was a conversation between Yosef and Binyamin. Which brought that feeling of brotherhood between Yosef and Binyamin to an unprecedented level. Until it was so powerful that Yosef was compelled to respond. In spite of all of his attempts to keep himself looking so in control. Here he's shattered and he has to cry. And the mid-word verstanden canal for was Rashi, da farop bringing the gun, Sarichas had worn. That explains why Rashi has to give us so much information. From Sholei Vechulei, Omelei Vechulei, he asked him about, does he have a brother? He asked him about his children. And And Rashi has to tell us what every single name means. Because this concept of giving the Schein, the special Brocha to Binyomi, is a result of the fact that Yosef is so emotional at this point in time. So every detail of every one of Binyamin's children and what they represent is a detail of what stimulates this emo- immense emotional response from Yosef. Look at it in context. Binyamin at the time that Yosef was sold was a child, nine, maybe ten years old. And here Yosef discovers, not only has Binyamin not forgotten him, but he's consistently thought about him and his travails. And how deeply has he thought about it? It's so deeply personal to him that he's illustrated his feelings in the names given to his own children. Not only one child as the token commemoration of his brother, every one of his ten children, and each one representing a different concept of his yearning or his pain. As Rashi tells us, I've named them after my brother and his travails. To the extent, so what's Benjamin created? A reality where whenever he thinks of any one of his children, it reminds him of his brother, his lost brother. That has a huge impact on Yosef. Only with that information can we appreciate why Yosef could no longer control himself. That's what Rashi says specifically. There is no room for self-control anymore. Immediately it has an impact on him and he has to go cry. Now it makes a tremendous amount of sense why Rashi first tells us the backstory before he could actually explain what the word means because will only make sense against that backdrop. 
Only once we understand the nature of the conversation between Yosef and Benjamin is Mazmun Machridem Taich von Vort Nichmaru, then we can appreciate why Nichmaru has to mean this heating up of emotion to boiling point. Because we know how the story is going to go. It's going to go to a point where Yosef has this unexpected burst of emotion. As mentioned, way deeper and more powerful than the response from the fact that he recognizes his long-lost brother Binyamin. So now that I know what's going on and I understand the psychology and the response Yosef has had and what he's confronted, I get that Nichmaru must mean a real heating up of emotion. A very powerful, hot type of emotion. Not like Uncle says, a kind of general awakening of emotion. That's Rashi's message. But Rashi's not satisfied just with telling us that's the story. Now you get how worked up he was. Rashi also wants to bring us proofs. Rashi's not satisfied. Even though the Pasuk does now imply that Nichmaru means means more than just the regular awakening of emotion. It means an, a dramatic type of explosive emotion. Rashi still doesn't have clear evidence just from our context that the word Nichmaru must mean heat. It could mean a lot of emotion. It could mean an arousal of emotion. How do I know it means heated, explosive emotion? How do I know it doesn't mean something else, similar, an awakening? So therefore, the first thing Rashi has to do is find us a source that explains the meaning of the word. Just the word on itself. Now we understand why Rashi is not going to bring another example in Tanakh, which also talks about emotions, whether it's one in Melochim, it's actually because those are talking about emotional outbursts, as over in Pasuk, as our parish is, so then they don't help us understand the unique translation of our Pasuk. Neither of those sources will show us clearly as that this usage of the word actually means this explosive emotion. I don't know. Maybe it's emotion here, like it's emotion there. A lot of compassion. A lot of uh, consolation. Even if the context there implies that there's a tremendous amount of emotion, but there's nothing there that indicates that the translation of the word Nichmaru is more compelling than it is here. Especially when you look at Unklus. Unklus there translates Nichmaru as an arousal of emotion, as he does here. So Rashi can't use that as his primary proof because he doesn't want to talk about an arousal of, of emotion. He wants to talk about an explosion of emotion. Therefore, Rashi has to find the word Nichmaru in a different context where I could see objectively that it means heat. Somewhere where the word has to mean heating up. 
So therefore, the Asherai bring the full Lashem Mishnah. First, he quotes from the Mishnah. Why? Because the benefit of Mishnah is that it's written in Lashem HaKadosh, which is similar to the language of Tanakh. We're talking about this pile of olives. So Kumar is actually the container in which you pile up the olives so that they generate this heat. Now I know that if that's the word we give to that appliance because of its heating properties, then I know that the root word, which is related to Nichmaru, is a word of heating. First port of call. The only thing is, it's not necessarily an ing- a, a totally conclusive proof, because we cannot say on We could still ask. How do I know that the word kumar actually means heating? I know the process is heating, but how do I know that the word means heating? How do I know that the name of this utensil is kumar because it's a heating utensil? Maybe that's just the generic name they give to it. Without any illustration of what it does. Therefore Rashi brings another proof from the Gemara Bob Bisra, The process of, sorry, of Michmar Bisra, heating up the meat. There, we're not describing a utensil, we're describing a process. What is the process? Heating. Ah, I get it. So now I've got proof that the word kumar means heating. And Aramaic does often help us to understand as typically the Gemara helps us understand the Mishnah. And the Mishnah itself is obviously going to use language that is similar to the language in Torah itself. Now coming from the Gemara, which gives us insight into the Mishnah, which in turn will help us understand the Pasuk, I get it, that the word Kumar, Nichmaru, etc. is all from the word Tehit. I know now that in the Mishnah it is called a Kumar because its purpose is to heat. That also helps us to understand why he quotes the Gemara from Psachim and not the Gemara in Brochus. So we said, why don't you look in the Gemara Yevamas, which came before Bava Metzia, and there you'll see the, the expression of this heating container of grapes. So there the Pasuk is, the Pasuk that the Gemara is discussing is as follows. That it, when it talks about how the, the lips of those who sleep, which is euphemistic for people who have passed away, then the concept is that when you share their Torah, their lips move. So there the Gemara says, It's like this jam-packed container of these grapes, which are obviously meant to ferment. Just like in that context, if you then touch the grapes with your finger, they immediately start to agitate and, and, and the juice of the grapes comes out. You quote their Torah and their lips begin to move even when they're in the grave. So if that was the quotation, even if we had the support of the other expression that Michmar Bisra means the heating of meat, still... Um, 
is nit can from I wouldn't have any real clarity from that particular context with the pressed grapes that it actually means heat. Because because there also I could still believe the container is called the kumar. And I wouldn't know that it's specifically because it heats. Because the implication there actually is not, it's not heat that affects the grapes, it's compression, it's pressure that affects and agitates and ferments the grapes. So it's almost the opposite of what we'd want to prove. And therefore, Voltman Kikend on them, and as does is the Mashmos from Kumar, I could actually come out of there thinking that Kumar means pressure or compression, not heat. So it wouldn't be useful to us. Even the quotation in Gemara Brochus that spoke about cooking Kumra same problem. I don't get from that that the word Kumar means the activation of heat. Maybe it's just describing a particular way that dates are packed. It's not clear in that context that even in, if there we could use camera as an adjective of heat, we don't know that it could be used as a verb to represent the heating process. Maybe it's just only used as an adjective in a particular context. The bottom line is each of the other examples that Rashi, we, we thought should have used from earlier places in the Gemara, are not as solid as the proofs that he has brought. Now, as the word is nichmeru, the two examples from the mission of the Gemara that Rashi has brought, even though they illustrate the meaning of the word, are not in the same form as it is here in our story. They're not nichmeru. Therefore, vil Rashi So Rashi would like to now at least find the same construction of the word adili in a pasuk to consolidate our understanding that nichmeru means to heat up. So therefore, that's why he quotes from Echa. Echa doesn't actually give a definition of the word in the context that we need it, but rather now that we know the context, we can understand what that it could mean to heat up. And, and, and it's Tafka Rashi's opinion because other opinions say that Nichmaru means to be darkened. They were so famished that their skin actually went black. So, we do know that there's an alternative possibility that we could say that there it means that because of famine their skin went dark. As others do. So therefore Rashi explains how I believe that in this Pasuk, Nichmaru means heated. Why? Because look what the Pasuk says. Because it's talking about the fever associated with, not the hunger, the fever associated with famine. Yes, famine could cause a person's skin to darken. But the fact that the Pasuk reiterates again, later in the Pasuk, Firstly, it tells us, that's a big indicator, like an oven. But then it adds again, fire and heiskite, the word zalafos, which is fever, heat, well, then you must assume that the word Nichmru does not mean to darken the skin, but to heat the skin. And that fits neatly with everything that Rashi has told us about the word Nichmru, that it means to heat up. 
But if all we're saying is that the Pasuk indicates a rise in temperature on the body because of the famine, so then we have to ask ourselves a question. What's the Navi saying that's so dramatic? Yes, it's a normal thing. A person who's not well, they haven't eaten, they, they're undernourished, they, they might catch a fever. What, what's, the, what's the Navi, what's your Miyod telling us over there that's so dramatic? Rashi says, what's dramatic? Rashi tells us, in Eicha, the word Nichmaru does not only mean heat. Now, it means the shriveling up of the body. As Rashi tells us, that the nature of skin is when you heat it up, it wrinkles. When the Torah here, when Eicha tells us that their skin had heated, Rashi says, the Torah doesn't have to tell us what's so terrible about that. Imagine the scene. It's natural for a person whose skin is so hot. It's going to shrivel. You can understand how painful that experience must be. Rashi doesn't have to explain it. He's just reminding us what happens. And finally, like them is moving, Favos Rashi bring Toti Rayash some soif. We finally understand why Rashi quotes the proof from Tanakh last, because logically you would have expected it to be first. Hagamdos Lushem Mikra, even though it is the language of Torah. And it's the same word that we have in our parasha, which surely takes precedence. Because as Rashi has illustrated, in Eicha specifically, the word Nichmaru does mean heated, but it also means shriveled. In fact, shriveled is the main thrust of what the Pasuk is trying to illustrate to us. So therefore Rashi can't bring it as the first explanation because it doesn't show exclusivity that the word Nichmaru means heated because it could also mean shriveled. And Rashi wants to know that in our context it means heated. That's what he's telling us. That Yosef literally exploded in emotion. Now let's take this whole explanation to a deeper level from the perspective of Chassidus. explains at this moment where Yosef is so dramatically emotional and he can't contain himself anymore is actually a story of each of us. Yosef is sometimes used as a collective noun for the whole Jewish people as the Pasuk says in Tilem. So every Jew in their status as Yosef has a requirement to arouse great compassion for he who is in the status of Binyamin, which is also known as Ben Oini, the son of affliction. What does that mean? Every one of us has to contemplate how much the Neshama has had to descend and regress to come down so low and when we contemplate that we have to as Yosef had this tremendous compassion for Binyamin we have to have this tremendous compassion or the need to arouse compassion (coughs) and mercy for our our own neshama for the godly spark within ourselves great lesson 
And Dalsim and Rumus in the Pratyad from Pirashashev, Kin Ichmer Rachmov, the way Rashi describes the details of the story between Yosef and Pinyamin are relevant to the details of the story of how we arouse this uh, great mercy for our own Nishama. On Siyazaych Meduk de Seder, and even not only the details that Rashi shares, but the order in which he shares them. Where Rashi first gives us the backstory of what happened between Yosef and Benjamin, and then uses that as a way of introducing the meaning of the word Nichmaru, that it means to heat up. So, the first step that a person has to do is to contemplate in to think about my brother, i.e., Manishama, and the difficulties it's been through. The first thing we have to contemplate is how great and beautiful and wonderful the neshama is. It's at the level of being a brother. Achi means that it's in a constant state of connection to, to, to godliness. Once we appreciate the greatness of the neshama, then it makes sense to consider how much difficulty it's faced. Then you can think about the tzoros, these bonus in Yerida, how much it had to descend, bees as nivla ben ha'umois v'chulei, to the extent that it got swallowed up in the nations, like Benjamin says about his son, and all the other details. In Guf Nefesh Abahamis, and Nochni how the Neshama gets stuck within the human body and the, contained by the Nefesh Abahamis, and then of course all the other difficult and more, more lowly elements of, the li- of life that the Neshama is exposed to. When a person gives such a thorough consideration to the state of their neshama, in all the ten components, which are implied by the ten names of the ten sons of Binyamin, then the person is suddenly aroused and awakened. Then suddenly the person can't control themselves anymore. They can't accept it anymore. They can't tolerate the negativity anymore. And this groundswell of emotion suddenly explodes and, and they feel this bitterness. How could I be in this place? When a person is in such a broken state over their own spiritual descent, that awakens from Hashem this tremendous compassion. The greatness of Rachamim, mercy, over Chesed, kindness, is how warm it is, how heated it is, how infused it is. Midas is lamata, as we see in our own experience as humans. As midas achesed mitzad atzmo is mashpirta vechesed vorumiteva atev lahitiv. The nature of kindness is to be kind because it's good to be kind because that's my nature to be kind. Vertab ongru from mayim dashboy is bikriros. Yet the metaphor we use to describe chesed is water, which is naturally cool, not excited. On the other extreme, we've got the element of Gevura, which is fiery, and that's why it could, if misguided, it could lead, lead to tremendous anger. compassion, empathy, yes, it is primarily about sharing goodness, but it is goodness with the fiery nature of Gevura. That's why we always talk about Teferis being the composite of both Chesed and Gevura elements that come to produce something brand new and much more powerful. What is the concept of Rachamim? You see the pain that somebody else is in. You empathize. 
is your chaim levav bechamim as rish peish that awakens you with your own enthusiasm. Is yochem levav bechamim as unis misayr berachmonu seif and sveit, and suddenly the person feels this incredible empathy and compassion for the other person. Which causes the person to share goodness and kindness with the, the victim, the recipient, the, the needy one, with enthusiasm. With a much greater push and yearning than chesed could produce on its own. That's why we always talk about Rachamim as being the intermediary between chesed and gvura because it harmonizes and brings together both elements. And they say that Rachamim and the people of us to tzichuf durch them is merumas in commercial zeisim. The impact of Rachamim is actually alluded to, believe it or not, in the Mishnah that describes this container with the pressed olives inside it. What are we describing? We already said before. Basically, you create a system whereby the olives get warm from the compressed uh, space that they're in, and that allows the oil to come out. What does that mean in Avoida? As we well know, olives are bitter. Which they represent the bitterness a person feels about their own spiritual state, about their own soul. The reason a person would feel so bitter is because they actually considered their spiritual state. And when a person has this to the extreme, this compressed, this intensity, of uh, of this Mirus. That means when the person really feels it, it's not like an intellectual exercise. You actually feel the concept of this is that it's bitter and bad to be distant from the Ibishtah. And therefore the person awakens and arouses compassion from the Ibishtah for his own Nisham and of course within himself for his own Nisham. That's a crushing the olive so the good stuff comes out. That elicits from Hashem the so-called supernal oil which represents Hashem's infinite wisdom and Hashem's infinite mercy. And that infinite wisdom and mercy allows the person to experience Gilo Yalikus inside himself. And that means that the person actually in full human emotional terms feels this incredible love towards Hashem. So you go from Kumar Zaysim, which represents the process, to Michma Bistro, boiling up the bossa, the gashmis of the person to actually feel enthusiastic for God. Then the next level is, so that's what Rashi tells us, right? First, the Kumar Zaysim. Then he tells us Michma Bistro. And what's the last thing he tells us? Skin. Eventually, that filters right out to the skin, the outer layers, the, the garments of the person. Even the elements of a person which are far from the essence of who he truly is from his Neshama perspective. They also come to life and they're also now enthusiastic. It means the way we behave, the way we talk, even the way we think. And because all of this is powered by compassion, by Rachamim. The Rachamim is the, the middle ground, the central channel of divine energy. 
peilt das sich und ist mehrfach als ein Stottem und ist Chamu von Rav Hanel, soll das sein in Kedusha. That's able to transform and totally switch the hunger, the feeling of distance, the feeling of being incapable, of being insufficient. Turns around, Veloshen Hanovi, to as the Novi describes it, that it will be Loirov Lolechem, as Amoy says, not a hunger for bread, Veloitzamalamayim, not a thirst for water, Kimlishmoes, Divra Havaya, but a thirst for the Abish himself. Mitzashem, we should all be Zeicha to that and to have that hunger and thirst as it will be in the time of Mashiach now.